Clarita here, and I've got a new sponsor, DistroKid. If you want to release your music into the world, DistroKid's the easiest way to get your music into all the major streaming platforms, unlimited uploads, and keep 100% of your royalties. And because you're a Design Freaks listener, you get 30% off. Go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash Design Freaks. DistroKid. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Design Freaks podcast. This is a show where I talk about music industry, art and design, record covers, graphic designers, and music history. Uh, My name is Clarita. I'm your host. I am a graphic designer in Seattle, Washington. So I have a very special, deluxe, two-part episode for you today. It's a double feature starring me. And my friend Travis, who is a fellow music nerd and fabulous artist, he's going to be joining me in just a second so we can talk about Paul Rubens. Paul Rubens, the character Pee Wee Herman, all of the punk rock connections, and um, his creative impact uh, on all of us. But yeah, lots of of punk connections to Pee Wee's Playhouse. Um, And then after that, you're going to hear some harpsichords. No. You're just going to hear a harp. Uh, It's going to catapult you into a portal back to December of 2020. Boy, were we full of life. Honestly, like the beginning of this is like we're reflecting. We're talking about Paul Rubens and it's great. It's also very fun, but the show will leave you on a cheerful note because uh, I guess Paul Rubens was still alive. And I don't know why we sounded so I had so many opinions and what happened? Um. I don't know. But yeah, we, we're going to talk about the passing of the mastermind of all of these three album designers I talk about in part two, the one from episode 25. That original episode was about the three main album art designers who worked in some way on Pee Wee's Playhouse. And it's Gary Panter, Wayne White, and Phil Hartman, who also uh, co wrote Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Lots of connections. Okay, but before I invite Travis to join me today, I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, If you enjoy the show, please share with other vinyl and design freaks. Rate, review, subscribe, leave a five-star review wherever. Check out the website, designfreakspodcast.com. I am at underscore designfreakspodcast on Instagram. You can find everything else in the old link tree. For other music-related podcasts, check out ruinousmedia.com oh and check out the show notes for a link to the full YouTube of the crazy version of Deacon Blues at the end of the episode I included that there is a reason I included it I will explain it in the episode but you have to see the entire YouTube video so check that weirdness out let's get right to it Travis hello are you there Hello, Travis. Hello. Hi, Clarita. Hi. Thank you for joining me again for the third time. Yeah. On the Design Freaks program. Love it. Uh, 
Yeah, it's so fun to have you on always. You were, let's list the episodes. First was Peter Saville. Peter Saville. Uh, then what was the second one? Pee Wee Herman. Pee Wee. So this is part two of the Pee Wee's Playhouse, I guess, or a revisit to pay homage to Paul Rubens, who passed. This was originally called the Gary Panter slash Pee Wee's Playhouse episode. Um, it was all about the three album artists who were Pee Wee's Playhouse adjacent, Gary Panter, Wayne White, and Phil Hartman. We talked mostly about them, but I wanted to now that Paul Rubens has passed and everyone's kind of reflecting on how, mu how much impact he made. Um, wanted to go back and kind of talk about what started it all, the mastermind behind everything, who was Paul Rubens slash the character Pee Wee Herman. Um, and for listeners, the second half of this will be much of the original episode, gotcha. episode 25 from December 2020. I can't believe it was that long ago. I know. Thank God that's over with. <laughs> what a nightmare. I mean, more nightmares to come, I'm sure. But um, <laughs> that specific one is done. A lot of it stinks of the p pandemic, so I'll probably whittle it down to what we want people to know now. And um, yeah, so any initial thoughts? Uh, you did like a diagram I want to put on the screen because it is such a nonlinear phenomenon. Um, you know, like I... Like, I was at camp last week when I found out the news, and, you know, like, we did a lot of reflecting on, like, kind of where where Paul Ribbons and the kind of Pee Wee's Playhouse, how that really kind of, like, shaped our weird little minds, um, mm -hmm. especially for, you know, for people of our age. Like, I was, like, five years old when Pee Wee's Playhouse came out, so, like, I was the prime target, you know? I've been thinking so much about it over this last week where how he really kind of brought every all of these like little pieces all together, how he he worked with uh, various, you know, he worked with Gary Panter, he worked with Wayne White, mm -hmm. he worked with Phil Hartman, all people it it very unique to their and have their own unique style and how it kind of became this like kitchen sink of creativity and and just kind of he managed to make something that that was so time like we were talking about so timeless but not completely out of time like there was mm -hmm. there, you can't really say that this could have taken place in the 50s despite there being googie and like that those weird asymmetrical deep pieces but he he had the pterodactyls he had like things that that just like he had robots so it was so the, in the future but it was also like taking pieces of the past and i don't know i i think that it yeah. really kind of created such a unique perspective and how he incorporated so many different styles of you know different types of media and animation styles you know it was a it was a mess of ideas that really like felt really cohesive yeah and getting back to 
he brought outcasts together. You know, he he brought the freaks together and he brought out the best in each one of them. I wanted to talk a little bit first about his beginnings with the groundlings. Well, as far as as far as I know, that's how he that's where he really like adapted his his comedic chops for this character that that he kind of like was fleshing out and workshopping and he you know at that time there were so many actors and actresses up and comers that you know were just part of this groundlings like improv troupe and you know who were along for the ride with him you know and like took on you know co-writing credits and acting credits and you know like participated and he you know as far as i i don't know how long was doing that at the groundlings but like it moved to the roxy you know there's like shows at the roxy on sunset and you know was really kind of really active in the kind of experimental performance theater you know in a weird way like that ties into, you know, in this strange way with like Tomato Du Plenty and like, uh, right, you know, like all of all of this stuff with the coquettes and the 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 stuff that Tomato did. Like these were fringe people, very outcast. Like there was, you know, he worked so closely with like Jombie and like uh, mm-hmm. Lorraine. What's her face? I saw a picture of Lorraine from Saturday Night Live. Like they were all part of the groundlings, right? And so you know, it's, it's Lorraine really, Newman. What's that? Was that Lorraine Newman? Lorraine Newman, yeah, yeah. So like to think about that, to think about like Phil Hartman would go on to SNL, Lorraine would go be on. You know, she was on SNL for a number of years. Like, like develop these 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 bit actors who who became all these very wild characters and he had he had a place for them to mm-hmm. be this you know in phil hartman's case captain carl you know like a, some swashbuggler like sailor man you know who designed the steely dan album asia which was re-released today or something or it was an announced today that it's remastered and re-released i was like what are you kidding me what a weird coincidence I, it, so bizarre so you all will see or hear or both uh, um a video at the end of this episode which the original episode was audio only i'm going to try to include the entire video because it's nuts and you need to see it. And it's not AI generated. It's an actual person, 3D crafted this weird nightmare. <laughs> and um, then put the Steely Dan song through some kind of um, electronic cheese grater. And it sounds amazing. Anyways, um, yeah, so so with Phil Hartman's character, we're talking like experimental comedy, making it into everyone's living room. Mm-hmm. Like... The weird, like, the degrees of separation between Tomata from the Screamers and Randy from Pee Wee's Playhouse, it's just, it blows my mind how close those things were and how far apart the, those cultures were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, Wayne White wasn't a punk, but he was, uh, you know, 
Gary Cantor yeah. was like very active in the underground music scene and and right putting his art in in every kind of way and in this kind of messy and disheveled sort of fashion you know that right. just stood out like a country boy yeah <laughs> plays banjo but um gary panter and also what i love about all three of these designers something we were talking about earlier is that um these three people run the gamut of album cover design um and that these are the three main types of uh album cover design that i cover on this podcast so you have phil hartman who was strictly a designer like in-house somewhere, I forget. I mean, he did the Steely Dan cover we talked about. And the Killer Clowns. Was it called Killer Clowns? Uh, there were two main ones. Uh, the Fire Sign Theater, Fighting Clowns. Oh, right. Um, That's thanks. actually one of my uncle's favorite. That was his favorite at, like act in in when he was in high school he loved oh fire sign theater <laughs> he still I talks think... about them on facebook oh my god are you kidding me no i think we I'm talked not... about it in the first episode too oh yeah probably <laughs> my dad had my dad had fire sign theater records whoa i never heard of them before this episode and um yeah, yeah. But I'm I'm guessing Phil did not do the painting. I'm guessing he did the layout and yeah, the yeah. graphic design part. So he's strictly graphic design. Then you have Wayne White, who is primarily an artist. He's a painter, but his style lends itself so well because of his brilliant use of typography, um, lends itself to album cover design. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he recently did uh, – he – painted something for an X album cover. Oh, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was that was their X's most recent record. Yeah. Yeah. And then and I'm not sure what else, but I know there are others. And then you have Gary Panter who is like both. Can do everything. And is amazing and extremely prolific and that's why the original episode was titled Gary Panter/ slash because it was mostly about him and his life so we won't go over that now but um the this kind of the thing that paul rubens was so good at was creating community and um creating a space for all these weirdos to like play in (laughs) whatever the art and music scenes like those everything in that time everything what everyone was doing everything you know it seems like one of those kind of just like right place right time for you know mm-hmm. i mean i doubt that i doubt that paul rubens was a big screamers fan but very well could have and seen that and you know it, you never know like probably could have seen a screamers performance and when he was you know just really young in hollywood it's just really fascinating to me like how how they all came together and how they're all each 
unique vision kind of made this iconic thing, you know, like with the crooked door and, and like weird mm-hmm. a- asymmetrical windows and like, you know, spl- all kinds of various pattern work and on the walls, just like, just like looks, you know, just every bit like just color and sa- so saturated. So saturated glitter texture. Mm -hmm. I mean, everywhere you look, it's too much everywhere. And it's like, that's what you want. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) It's it's satisfying, but it's dizzying at the same time. And I just, um, also, did you see the, um, Mosswood meltdown festival in, uh, Oakland recently? They made a whole Pee Wee's Playhouse stage. You should look it up. Oh my God. Yeah. Did you go to that? No, I didn't go this time, but it looked really fun. And that stage, they did a really good job building that stage. So check that out. But I wanted to talk about, um, we were also comparing and contrasting the worlds of Pee-wee's Big Adventure versus the Playhouse. So you're, you're starting to describe the inside of the Playhouse but when I earlier today, I was like, do I remember the theme, the beginning as well as I think? And I kind of didn't. I remember the beaver, you know, in the very beginning. Um, and I remember the song, but um, there's a lot of detail there. There's a weird detail. It's like mm-hmm. there's a beaver. It feels prehistoric, like you were saying, like prehistoric. There's like, caw, caw, or, you know, whatever. And then. <laughs> Um, and then there's a beaver chopping down a tree and then there's like a lawnmower and a little lot, like there's almost a hint of suburbia Mm -hmm. and then you go through and you kind of fly over and you see this misty, uh, knoll. (laughs) I would say it's a knoll. It's a knoll. I I mean, a a rocky is, well, it's a little craggy and rocky as well. I don't know if that qualifies. (laughs) But um, well, he could have been next door neighbors with friend Fred Flintstone. It could have. Okay, so that's what I was going to say because I was remembering the house being super futuristic, but actually, when I paid more attention, part of it is the Flintstones' house. Part of it is a regular suburban house. It's like three things put together, and then the other part, the front, is like a fifties diner, and then the top has that weird sphinx on it. Oh yeah. I forgot about this you know, and then, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. so it's got some elements, but the fifties diner also does look kind of futuristic cause that's what they were going for back then. Right, so right. it does have that. So yeah, it is out of time and it's like misty and confusing. And then you zoom in and then it's peewee and then the song starts, but yeah, that beginning was so like magical and it set the tone that, this place, it exists in another dimension. Like you're, mm-hmm. this is not earth or something. So you get in there and it's, there's a lot going on. There's every little corner is a vignette where a different scene can happen. Like instead of being a skit show where you have different sets, it's one mm-hmm. set with different vibes everywhere. Mm-hmm. which I think is cool because we were talking about what else was weird back then. Like, was this the only thing we had? And then we were like, no, the other uh, the other part, the other weirdness in the zeitgeist was you can't do that on television. Mm-hmm. And they had 
crazy stuff going on. They didn't have puppets. No, I they don't were remember. more they were more like Monty Python for kids. Right, exactly. That is what the cuz I remember the graphics were Monty Python graphics. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So but they had different scenes, characters that would come back over and over. But it was weird and it was um subversive and strange and for kids only you know it wasn't really mm-hmm. or it was from the perspective of kids but yeah peewee was the big one like where would we be who would we all be without paul rubens Yee, boring <laughs> i mean you know like like i think that like he he allowed our our imaginations to really kind of see what you what was possible and what you can do or like how he would take claymation and like make little dinosaurs like walk around and like or you know like lots of puppetry and like you know in different styles of puppetry you know where you have flowers that are in the windowsill or you have like fish that are on a little wires in a fish tank or, you know, like you, mm-hmm. you had all these different things and like the early animation stuff with the King of cartoons, like showing some, you know, cartoon that you would never otherwise see, you know, mm-hmm. he pulled these really obscure animated shorts, you know, what claymation was going off at that time oh it was a lot of that the food in the fridge was my absolute favorite Mm -hmm. um just the creativity is mind-blowing but yeah the old those old skeleton cartoons man those were cute Mm -hmm. (laughs) playing their ribs like the xylophone yeah oh um yeah so puppetry stop motion design old cartoons connect the dots uh we were talking about diy tutorials you could learn Mm. a thing or two on each episode yeah (laughs) i mean yeah it definitely like you know with with the the connect the dots that showed me what i needed to do that you could create you can make an image just simply by you know creating dots like as an outline and then you could go back and you could make your own connect the dots and to make an image Mm -hmm. and like you know when i was a kid i would i was like obsessed with that stuff i was like how do you how do you do this and it's like (laughs) oh you just put tracing paper on the top of it uh, and you make your dots on top of that and then you can create your lines yeah and get a semblance of what it was i don't know it it was it's just like the music, the music, the just sounds and just like it was so sensory. Very. That 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 not a lot of other shows had where it had had quiet moments. And Pee- even Pee Wee's character was he was really quiet. But he was loud. Yeah. You know, like he like like he had these like. He he had the tone. He had the way to set a tone, to really keep people engaged. Hell yeah, he knew how. Yes, we talked about you can't do that on television. It's also an expansion of Mister Rogers' Neighborhood, Um, Mm -hmm. but 
Mr. Rogers' neighborhood was so sleepy <laughs> and so gentle and calm. And this was like, fuck that. <laughs> We're going to let off uh, a T-shirt cannon of uh, creative insanity into your face, yeah. into your living yeah. room. Yeah. And it just was so inspiring. Um, and plus knowing the history of Wayne White and how he works with cardboard and does things that like anyone can do if you just think of it. Um, mm -hmm. And he just thought of it and was compelled to and and then took those the paintings he does with the thrift store artwork that he he uh, well, how would you say he inserts? Uh, I don't even know how to describe them. I mean, he just just re I mean, in, in NSA just like embellish embellishes it or remixes like an existing piece of, you know, thrift store art and treat, you know, embellishes it with his own style of typography and language. Oh, I have the examples I can show everybody. If you're not watching the YouTube, you should. Ooh. Here's where I pick my nose. Okay. <laughs> Show and tell. So this is something I got from Wayne White's, Wayne White's merch shop. It's a picture frame. And it's in Wayne White fashion. It is cardboard, which I love about it. Because watch uh, for the audience. We probably talk about this in the original episode. But watch Beauty is Embarrassing. It's a documentary about him. And it'll tell you everything you need to know. But here, the, the frame has interchangeable pieces inside. So I'm just going to show the audience. Um, just flip through some of these. The uh, next one is a, like an ocean cliff. Uh, and he's painted the word ape shit uh, in Stars and Stripes. We got a clusterfuck. So we got a pretty. turd. The, the letters are, it's just so beautifully done that it like turd in the forest. Like it looks it beautiful. Looks like, the word it looks like turd. These two people are gazing at it. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, but they're looking at the cherry blossoms, but he put it between them and the cherry blossoms. <laughs> He's so funny. Unlike. Yeah. And it, he has a reflection in the water. Okay. And now you just have to look at the YouTube. WTF with ducks. All right. Um, so what people should do, go watch Pee-wee's Playhouse again. Listen to the Screamers. Watch the Wayne White documentary. Is there a Gary Panter documentary? Uh, not that I've seen. I, I mean, I'm sure that there's some sort of youtube documentary someone has had to have like but i haven't seen anything he's his his work is also so like embedded in you know like with the red hot chili peppers with you know that was my introduction to gary panter and like re like only years later like i watched Wee's playhouse had no idea yeah you know? nobody knew I mean, none of us yeah. our age. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like we weren't paying attention to these this minutia of details and why why things were, were the way they were. It was just they yeah. were. And the funny thing is, all of these connected things were around us at the same time. But it's like with Barney Bubbles, like there's no way we could have known. 
-hmm. that, oh, that and that was done by the same person. Let's talk a little bit about Fatima Records with a Z. Um, this was a Los Angeles record label. They released not only, well, we'll talk about the Pee Wee Herman Show record, um, which they released, but also the Plugs and a band called The Brat. The there's something called Jimmy, which is a, like a like some children's songs. Non-music children. It's the same year as the, or in 82. Oh, wow. It just had it's just such a, it did like, but most of them were a, a couple albums, but mostly singles and EPs. But six releases total. Interesting. And that's it. And Pee -wee Her the Pee Wee Herman show was one of them. And I can't yeah. tell. Okay. Oh, I have. Are you looking at the Discogs? Yeah. So if you look the the cover, it's such a cool idea. So it's an interactive design where the cover is transparent. Yes, it looks like it's silk screen on the outside, and then has the disc. The picture. The, the picture disc is a picture on. disc that, when you put it on top of the cover, completes the image. Yes, because the cover itself has a missing peewee in it. And it's very cool. I'll put this up on the screen. And then also oh, yeah. the p the picture disc itself. Yep, it is a clear picture disc. And then the um, liner notes, which are pretty fascinating, that list. And really skillful, actually, to draw, to write in the same size the whole way down and take up exactly that one 12 by 12 square. Yeah. I mean, pretty, pretty good. <laughs> Kudos uh, to Gary Panter or whoever at Fatima uh, was tasked with this. Um, did you want to go over some of these people on the on the list here? I mean, I guess we did. We did uh, Phil Hartman, John Paragon, who was John B. Right. Yeah. Okay. Pee-wee's Playhouse is one of the songs. Good Morning Song, A Sailor's Life, Most Beautiful Woman in Puppet Land, um, Ballad of Hermit Hattie, Rub the Top of Jombie's Box, which sounds dirty. Um, I gotta go. <laughs> oh, yeah. I gotta go. It probably was dirty. It probably <laughs> was because this was like, this is this is a club club performance at the Roxy. Oh, yeah. This was pre-TV show. Exactly. Um, and his, his show, his play ran for five years, right? Yes, I believe so. It had multi-night stints and would, it, I think that it would continually evolve, but you know, a lot of the same players, um, were, you know, Nicole Panter. Oh. There's a Nicole Panter that's part of the cast. Huh. Okay, so then we got I Gotta Go Be By Myself slash Call Me Miss Bungle. We were wondering, since this came out in 81, if that inspired Mr. Bungle. And then he's got to get his wish, his way, what he wants, with an apostrophe S for some reason. 
Um, luckiest boy in the world and Vullery Peewee. Um, and then I'm also seeing Robert Williams listed. Uh, Robin, oh, no. Robin he's an experimental Williams drummer. Williams is doing drums, percussion, courtesy okay, of A&M that. Records. Oh, he played Probably with is. Captain Beefheart. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. The connections, folks. Oh. What? Nicole Panther is Gary Panther's ex-wife. Uh-huh. Script editor and fiction writer. <gasps> uh, she managed the, the germs. Another connection. Another connection. The germs. So, yeah, she Nicole Panther was in uh, Decline of Western Civilization. Okay. It, she was a character in the Pee Wee Herman show. Got it. Yeah. So they so that okay. that so Nicole Nicole Gary that's how they all lined up as it seems like like it would make sense if Gary Panther had done like some like set design or some sort of like creation of the of the show itself mm-hmm. but was also just so visual you know like like did the artwork for that Pee Wee Herman show that yeah, is wild. That's wild. After her 80 retirement from punk rock, she became an actor and writer, the Pee Wee Herman show, script editor, author. Yeah, okay. So she got out of the punk rock thing in 1980. And then, pro- I mean, she was probably already, I was married to Gary Panter. We were involved in the art scene too. I'd outgrown punk as a social scene by the time I quit the germs at- on April 1st, 1980, as soon as the South Boy boys started coming to shows, everything shifted. Wow. Mock violence. Pogo became real violence. I want to know part of that. So she was already married to him. And Pee Wee does a uh, famous scene with Lawrence Fishburne about pogoing. And they put yeah. on fake mohawks. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> All the world is, it is a punk house. It is a punk house. A very whimsical punk house that probably smelled better than any real punk house. True. So many punk connections. There's probably more that we're not even scratching the surface of, you know? I mean, it, it could go deep. And I and it and I feel like it it can it can continue on too because it's, then it's just like SNL and then John Belushi and Fear mm-hmm. and like 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 Fear was LA yeah yeah know? from Phil Hartman but... to SNL to <laughs> oh my gosh I what do they do at the end of Pee Wee's Playhouse he like just got on his magical scooter and he got on his scooter and zipped off. And flew out of the his house, and he like he flew through the clouds. Oh, that's right! Straight yeah. to the Simpsons beginning. <laughs> <laughs> and the Simpsons connections do not stop there. Oh my God! Can you imagine if we tried to do? Let's try to do some like methed out chart of like the Simpsons and Pee Wee's Playhouse. Oh my god! And SNL and punk rock. Let's go. Four <laughs> four quadrants. This looks, this this would <laughs> this is the kind of geekery that I love. <laughs> we can start with four quadrants, and they can just work inward. Yeah, 
yeah. with Paul Rubens in the middle. <laughs> Steely Dan will be like oh. an extension. Steely Dan, the guy on YouTube who made that freaky video, will yeah. be there. <laughs> this is this is one funky spider way. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I mean, beyond that, I guess, listen to their next part of the show, which is the original episode where you get to learn a lot more about these people, right? What else do you have to yeah. say, Travis? Really sad I never got to meet P.E. <laughs> or correspond with him in any sort of meaningful way, aside from just admiring him from a, through a TV screen. Yeah, you me know, too. But... You know, like that, those are, you don't, you don't think about your heroes until they're gone, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that this was like one of those things, like kind of those revelations where it's like, you know what, this guy's shaped, well, this is why I'm, you know, like, I, I like to think outside the box and do things in a kind of scrappy sort of way, you know? And it's uh, really special how he navigated all that and became you know just so adored and respected for his work absolutely i think that says it all uh now listen about the album covers from peewee's playhouse adjacent artists and thank you for joining me travis yeah thanks for having me clarita it's really nice to talk about this stuff because it means a lot yeah. It means so much. Oh, and watch the Leslie Jordan episode, too. <laughs> okay. Bye. So, yeah, today I wanted to talk about me and Travis were texting the other day because we heard that there's finally going to be a Screamers release on vinyl. And um, Superior Viaduct. Superior Viaduct is releasing it. Um, and weirdly enough, I guess this is all unofficial stuff, but if you look up Gary Panter's uh, Discogs, there are unofficial releases, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they've been bootlegs for a long time. Right. But they all just sounded like crap because no one had their real to real yeah but yeah it did have that kind of like rocket from the tombs like mysterious like there's no real recordings you know there was a mystique to it yeah. there was an image and a, everything to it that it was transformative at a time that it needed to occur but that it just kind of has obliterated and just kind of been like talked about in circles and this thing of lore I mean, I listened to the little five-minute clip or whatever that they had, and it sound, still sounded raw. It didn't take anything away from the music itself, but mm -hmm. it sounded cool. I um, pre-ordered the red vinyl. Me too. I don't, I don't normally go for color or anything like that. I was like, eh, whatever. 
Well, you know, now that I'm never going to DJ in a dark bar again, I guess, um, don't have <laughs> black vinyl anymore. No. Uh, that's depressing. Um, let's talk about Gary Panter because his work, his career spanned so much time. His work's all over the place. Uh, he's worked for Ralph Records. Um, first of all, he's from Texas. Um, one of the most, well, according to this website, one of the most influential graphic artists of his generation. I would say that's true. Um, even if you don't know his name. Uh, the earlier today, I was like, I'm going to look through my records and see how many I can find. I wonder how many I have with his art. And I looked up and the dirt bombs we have you surrounded is facing me yeah from my, from I, my pile <laughs> yeah i when that record came out i didn't even realize that carrie panther did that record or like the yola tango run or it's just like everywhere he did i mean yeah. it's like barney bubbles like it's just everywhere or or hypnosis he just mm -hmm. did so much um yeah so it's hard to find a collection that doesn't have anything you know yeah of his so anyway so he was born in oklahoma and he was raised in texas he studied painting at the east at uh, east texas state university moved to la in 77 and in la he worked on multiple fronts including painting designing comics and commercial imagery establishing a pattern of creating across traditional boundaries and in multiple media that endures to this day speaking of multiple media Obviously, he was also interested in 3D spaces um, because he went on to design Pee-wee's Playhouse. Um, as well as his 2D work like Jimbo, the comic, which I've never read that. Have you read Jimbo? No, I haven't. I'm not really a comics person. I have my, the, the, my favorites. I don't like look for new ones and you know it's not really my i'm i've been yeah. really bad with comics in general like it's uh, i feel like i can't keep up mm -hmm. there's like literature you know there's a, there's all these other things that i'm trying to keep up with and comics usually fall by the wayside anyways i'm so and there's a lot of crossover too with graphic uh, novel artists and with record cover uh, mm -hmm. designers and artists. I wonder what was first. I can't quite tell the timeline. Well, he was doing stuff with Slash Magazine, but um, it really kind of all seemed to be in the mid-70s, like out of L.A. Screamers were 77, 78. Yeah, it looks like it was New Wave Comics, The Initiation of Raw, uh, R-A-W, and then looks like that was one of the early ones. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah, it was a, a newspaper. He was also featured in Rolling Stone magazine. So it looks to me like he was featured in a couple things and then started Jimbo's Inferno with Charles Burns. Have you seen some of the other stuff he did with Charles Burns? No. Oh, man. Amazing. I'll send you a link. Okay. Um, there's this thing called Facetasm. It's amazing. Uh, but the, his stuff, his style is so much more precise. Well, because 
Panther's just so loose. Exactly. Like, mm-hmm. But at this point, okay, so we're still in the 70s at this point. Um, I'll go through the record list later when we get later in the story. Um, so here's a funny story that he referenced in an interview I read um, that kind of shaped him as an artist and a person. Um, so he says, uh, back in 1972, he took a shitload of bad acid. Now, what is bad acid? Isn't it just acid, but you took too much? Or just, yeah, maybe. <sighs> I wonder. I feel like the, the alchemy of that, all that was kind of questionable and probably people just took poison and <laughs> like <laughs> felt miserable. Maybe, maybe like it hadn't been worked out or it was some bathtub stuff. Yeah. So anyways, so he said he had an experience that disturbed him so badly he had to leave school for a year. Um, The memory of it still haunts him. And quote, there'd be composite creatures made of vacuum cleaners, all kinds of devices. And then they'd be covered with thousands of roach clips, each holding a butterfly wing or a playing card. And they'd all be stop motion animated and going, come with us. (laughs) <laughs> this was not the organic and spiritual experience he had hoped for. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, that sounds kind of cool right now. <laughs> Another funny thing about his early life, um, his dad was um, a painter as well. I didn't look up his dad's artwork. I will, though. Oh, maybe I'll put some up on the website. Um he, his dad was religious, but uh, uh, Gary Panter was not. And he, his dad thought that Panter's artwork was so disturbing that he uh, tried to get him to snap out of it. Like he thought he was possessed or something or that he could just like get over this weird demon phase he was going through. Wow. So he tried to get him to snap out of it by uh, he got him a job at the local funeral home. <laughs> like how would that help a morbid child? <laughs> <laughs> but, pile pile it on yeah just pile it just like smoke the whole carton until you don't like it anymore <laughs> or have some realization about god i don't know like kind of wow. scared straight thing so he so sometimes the job required gary panter to join the injured people on the ambulance ride to the hospital just in case the worst happened so he had to be like the last rights person but in those little towns, they lived like in the middle of Texas or like hours, you know, from the next city. So he says in these little towns, the ambulance is also the funeral home because if there was a car wreck, we'd have an 80 mile drive to Dallas while people bled to death. Wow. So if you have a morbid child that you feel <laughs> is not religious enough, put them around dying people. People, yeah. just people bleeding to death right in front of them. That'll help them. Anyway, so then around, uh, okay, so then he was, he kept doing artwork and he kept getting published. Um, he did drawings for Slash Magazine and numerous record covers. And uh, then t- sometime around 1980, um, his Talks Manifesto was published in the Ralph Records catalog calling for artists to work within the capitalist system. Cool. (laughs) So maybe as an aside, we could go over a couple quotes from that manifesto and give our takes on it of what we think. Um, What do you think? What's your favorite quote? (laughs) Um, 
if you want better media, go make it. That's good, but you left out the part where he sounds like Bill Maher. New rule. If you want better media, go oh, make it. Th- oh, yeah, law. It, it's <laughs> it's by law. Law. If you want better media, you go make it. I don't know. <laughs> go make it, snowflakes. <laughs> I don't know. It's Obviously, he was reactionary to the times, and um, mm-hmm. it just sounds like he was the punk artist who got called out for making money and got angry and wrote an angry manifesto. And I'm surprised it's not in all caps, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, it's better that it's not. It kind of, that, that just kind of suppresses the language a little bit, but it's, it does just, you know, it, it's, it's that chain smoking through the night, tapping away on your typewriter, just like, yeah, I got this great idea. You know, I mean, it's obviously a reaction to be being held to this punk rock standard of the day where you don't sell out. Authenticity is king. You know, we don't have that anymore. That's very Gen X, mm-hmm. early Gen X um, to be, uh, you know, you'd rather be dead than be a poser. You know what I mean? Or a yeah. sellout, which doesn't even exist because the economy is so much worse now that it's like, who cares? All of our, yeah. a ton of our friends have had songs and Netflix shows and whatnot. Like, I can't imagine holding that against someone right now. You know what I mean? No, no. I, every artist deserves to get paid for the work that they do. And mm-hmm. if they make something that people want to buy and mm-hmm. good. And so even though I agree essentially with his overall message from this uh, manifesto, the language and the tone is just the ultimate boomer cringe. I mean, mm-hmm. he's just saying, it's like, get off my lawn. It's like, it is unfortunate and unacceptable what vile and lazy do-nothings are given unwarranted credence for mouthing such foul and mean cliches as rip off and sell out. They have no understanding of our economy. Yeah. Finger wagging. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> and the time it takes society to go confess and shut up capitalism good or ill is the river in which we sink or swim inspiration has always been born of recombination stop having ideals but also different times different times and i think he's making that common mistake that a lot of people make where he's conflating business with capitalism it's not about being anti-money it's about being anti-exploitation of artists so I, I don't know. I, there's problems I have with it also because I learned um, when I started doing design, um, even before I went to design school, I, disco- I discovered the um, pretty much the opposite of this manifesto. Um, it's Ken Garland's First Things First, and it's a pretty lofty one. I've mentioned it before in the podcast. I'm not going to go on and on about it, but you can look it up. Um, it's basically like design is really powerful and it's basically like let's not limit ourselves to mm-hmm. uh, commercial work. Let's let's note uh, the power that we have and that we can lend to making a real difference. And design and protest has always gone hand in hand. Politics and design have always gone Absolutely. together. Yeah, and so it's not naive <laughs> to think that yeah. you could, like now with web design, you could give a whole a, a cause legitimacy just by building an awesome website for them 
a cause that maybe no one had heard of. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know. I think, I think both things are true. We have to survive as individual artists, but I also think that there, there should be idealism. There's always, there's always something to work toward, you know, in a, in a, in a positive way and utilizing your talents in that way. Another, uh, nerve that may have been hit with him he was best friends with matt graining and who was like the king of merchandising on the simpsons (laughs) which i mean besides from like butterfinger commercials i didn't think it was that bad i thought i don't know i mean you make a show and then you make toys from it i guess i i was a matt graining fan before the simpsons too when i was a kid we did have those books his Mm -hmm. like life is hell life is hell yeah, school is yeah. hell. All those. Yep. <laughs> I thought it was so funny, but I, me too. I was such a little kid that I didn't hold him to any stand. I, I just didn't get the context of it before he became commercially successful. So, um. So yeah. Anyway, so he started to have some commercial success from his record covers, comic books, etc. But then he really, really hit it big with uh my favorite uh, contribution to society he's made was uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse design. Because didn't that, like, change your brain? Yeah. I watch that every single week. There was so much to look at, and everything was, like, you know, weird, obtuse, and acute angles. Just, like... So it all started with uh, Pee-wee's big adventure when he introduced the, to me, he introduced the idea of the Rube Goldberg machine with his breakfast, even though you could tell the orange was a Nerf ball. (laughs) (laughs) But, But the fantastical house idea of like, you don't have to live that way. You can, things can be fun. You can be an adult and have fun. Even as a kid, though, I wondered who cleaned up after Pee Wee. (laughs) (laughs) That is so funny. But yeah, so the fantastical indoors idea that you could have 3D space be art. And um, Mm -hmm. so that kind of brings us to the other one of the other album designers from the Pee Wee theme today, um, Wayne White created uh puppets shit i even did a puppet show when i was like 20 22 and 23 (gasps) i did a puppet show at the seattle art museum (laughs) it was terrible i mean think about that weird floor face who would think of that Mm -hmm. uh billy baloney conky conky was a person by the way that was an outfit There was someone in there. Yeah, that's why the arms are big. Uh, There's Polaroids of Wayne White standing with the guy that's in it. (laughs) In the conky suit. And then uh, Randy. Dirty Dog. Chicky Baby. Who was the kite? What was his name with the little glasses? Uh, Mr. Kite. And oh, Mr. Kite. Terry. Mr. Kite was voiced by Wayne White, by the way. Oh. Yeah, and then Terry, which Randy liked mm-hmm. to call Put Terry just to make him mad. 
because the P was silent. Uh, and if you look at Wayne White Dark Dart, WayneWhiteArt.com slash puppets, um, you can see all of this stuff. There's kind of like sketches and in progress sort of uh, iterations of the puppets that aren't quite finished. It's pretty cool. Um, and then there's also stuff that didn't make it onto the show. There's something called Dude Mask, which is really scary looking. <laughs> it's like kind of a cubist Picasso style face that doesn't make sense, which I love. And all of this is painted cardboard, right? Or a lot of his stuff. Yeah, yeah. You you saw the, you saw him at at the art fair, right? I did, and I got to pull on the strings. Yeah, I did too. For that. Mm -hmm. So for the listeners, um, Wayne White created giant uh, puppet, cardboard puppet versions of two settlers from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, what? Who was it again? There were the sisters. Yeah, I forgot what the sisters' names. It was some um, pioneer settler ladies, but um, there were huge versions that he designed, and some friends of mine. Um, helped to build uh, a few days before the uh, Seattle Art Fair, and I guess stayed up all night. <laughs> and I was like, why didn't you call me? <laughs> I want to yeah. I want to help. Um, <laughs> but I did get to meet him. He was playing his banjo, yeah. sitting in his chair next to the puppets, and I said hello. He was very nice, and I would love to have him on the show and ask him some stuff uh, since he did just recently design the new album cover for X. Alphabet Land. Oh, really? Yeah, oh. really cool. I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know Wayne White did that one. Oh, Google it. It's awesome. his classic, uh, his classic thrift store painting slash uh, genius level three D letter form stuff. It's oh. like super nice. I love it. It's so perfectly done. A lot of people paint over thrift store paintings, but nobody does it like him. He also has a, a Discogs. Should we go over Discog stuff? Gary Panter stuff? Because I know you referenced the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, uh, well, I mean, I Red Hot Chili Peppers, was that was my first tape. And I just re remember seeing it and just being like, my brother doesn't have this. And having that association and this, like, punk kid, like, like standing there with a engorged eyeball you know i was really really young and it was i i was borrowed my brother's freaky styly tape and i was like i need to get the album that he doesn't have and so he had freaky styly he had uplift mofo party plan and i yeah. loved that cover so much yes. and i was just it's like awesome and those two those are the two gary panthers like yep and that was like you know, my first tape, that was, uh, you know, this album that meant a lot to me at a young age, you know, mm -hmm. it was a little skate kid. The uh, Uplift Mo Mofo Party Plan. I love what he did with typography. Mm -hmm. It's irreverent. And characters, just characters like that. That is so much. Uh, there's, there, there's just these little tiny details. It just is so colorful. <laughs> And it's colorful. There's drawing over painting. Mm -hmm. And it, yeah, that to me blew my mind because I never thought of doing a whole painting and then a separate drawing over it. Yeah. Yeah. So then the other one was Freaky Styly. 
Yeah, he didn't do. I don't know if he did. He, I don't think he did that one. But he did the eponymous. Record. It was the first That's record. It. Yeah, it was like their self-titled. True men don't kill coyotes. True men don't kill coyotes. I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, he was he was doing stuff in this like it was like Zappa, and then then he then with all like the Ralph and San Francisco stuff. You're right. Okay, so the first one is called Doc and Merle Watson, Lonesome Road, from 1977. Then he designed an Alice Coltrane record. What? Uh, for Warner Brothers, and that is from 1976. Why is it out of order? But this one, um, it's gorgeous. It's not his normal style. It's not a drawing. It's it's um, definitely looks designed. Um, there's a photo, a gorgeous photo of her. He has a ornate frame around her. There's a lotus. It's sort of a Buddhist feeling. There's a lot of orange happening. Um, oh. Yeah. It's just a nice, peaceful looking record. Um, very cool. And then you get into 78 for Frank Zappa, Studio Tan. Uh, and then you get to Subterranean Modern, which is a great compilation mm -hmm. on Ralph. I have that one right here. Um, I'm just looking at you it. You do, where they, they all do a version of Left My Heart in San Francisco. Yeah. That's great. Very weird. Um, and then, uh huh. Well, like Chrome was supposed to be on Ralph Records, but they were just kind of going back and forth, apparently. And so they went somewhere else. So then the Snake Finger record, I love that. It's, uh, I think that's an EP, the What Wilbur. Wilbur. That's such a good song. Kill the Great Raven, <laughs> not my favorite. Uh, yeah, more Frank Zappa. There's so many records. There's no way I can put them all on my Oh, it, on my website. A record that I've been looking for for 15 years was Renato and the Loaf. Or no, it was probably about 10 years that it took me to finally find it. The songs for Swinging Larva? Mm -hmm. uh, like, I didn't have any idea what this band sounded like until the internet finally came around and I was able to download a couple songs but mm -hmm. I was just like hunting for this record for whatever 10 15 years because I heard it in a song by this band called uh, Heavy Vegetable they were just like the the bands you don't hear playing on the radio and I was like who's, who's Ronaldo and the Loaf? Who's Can? Like kind of like who's a Captain who really is Captain Beefheart? You know like they it, it was, they just listed all of these things that I didn't really know anything about, but Ronaldo and the Loaf was one that, like, I was like, I need to hear what this is. Yeah, I heard them first on, uh, I heard that song Sprats Medium first mm. on a mixtape. <laughs> kind of you. Um, I wish I could play music through here that we could hear in real time, you know? Yeah. It'd be cute. It's wild how when you see between all of the things like some things are a lot like heavier he like color heavy and the mm -hmm. others to like have like a you know three tone or he kind of shifts it between the two like with the dirt bombs record mm -hmm. like like i was looking at ronaldo and the loaf and just being like 
oh, how did I not see the dirt bombs like immediately? But it, it's it the was the same it's cover. A, it's yeah. it's a record that if I were to see it, I would immediately know what it was. Yep, and it's kind of the like with uh, Petty Bond, like you can tell mm-hmm. right away. But it does. It is weird that he doesn't. He does switch back and forth to the to the two tone, two color, or a million colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is that he's kind of all over the place in a way. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really have a favorite. I think his work is best kind of all together as a collection. You can kind of see because he did have such a, a moody style, mm-hmm. um, huh. and he did yeah. collaborate with people a lot. So there, he had a lot to offer. I think has he's still alive jesus <laughs> uh rest in peace <laughs> rest in peace gary panther <laughs> hmm. what else the the kind of yeah he did the peewee graphic too yeah that little painting when it when it was um, just a stage show he did all like the flyers the record kind of like the the iconic throwing this like very ch- it, it felt very ch- like childish and crayon scrawled like everything was perfect about it creating this like youthful space with you know different artists and stuff did he design the stage show is that what you said uh no 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 like with the with the promotional merchandise promotional materials yeah. but i'm just wondering if he also had something to do with the i mean that. it seems like he probably would have in some mm-hmm. capacity because it does so yeah so so he did peewee but another thing we mentioned the screamers but i think what i knew him best for besides peewee secondly would be besides peewee and red hot chili peppers would be um the screamers mm-hmm. logo which was a it looks like a lion cut, perhaps. It, it, I should know that. <laughs> I just assumed it was, but right, right when I said it right now, I'm like, I'm not 100% sure. I, it, it has, like, its simplicity to it, you know? Like, it's mm-hmm. mostly asymmetric. It's, like, opposite, like a yin-yang, almost. <laughs> and that's the thing, and is it's, because it's, like, it's so, like, like there's nothing about that image that is quiet it's so just like it's striking you're just like oh god it, like what kind of metamorphosis like metamorphosis is he going through like into a superpower but then you see tomata and it really looks like him mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean it's exaggerated but yeah it really does and it, it captures the angst and i don't know the kind of that that raw sound that we were talking about earlier. Screamers or Tomata do plenty. Uh, Paul Rossler, KK Barrett, Bill Riflin, Eldon Hoke, which I don't know much about. Some other people. They were uh, rooted in the Northwest, um, right? Because he yeah, was in. It started here. So the original t- lineup of the Tupperwares included Tommy Gear. At the time, he was Melba Toast and Tomata do plenty and Rio de Janeiro on vocals backed by Pam Lillig and Ben Witz, later of Girls, as well as Bill Riflin. Um, 
and then later of Blackouts, who I love, yeah. one of my favorite bands of all time, and Ministry, another one of my favorites. And Lard. Yeah, so a lot of great history there before he went to L.A., some Pacific Northwest history. The Tupperwares played up here with the Whiz Kids and, and the Telepaths, stuff like that. So It must have been just so cool. wild to tour in that time and come to Seattle, you know, like where yeah. you're like, whoa, we have to go all this way up this way to go uh-huh. this way so yeah but weren't some of them here though yeah already Phil right yeah was here this is 75 yeah so this was at the beginnings thing and it's funny because things were way weirder and then got tamer f- during the grunge era but that's what we're known for mm-hmm. so that's pretty much you know the the legacy of gary panter Kind of cringy, kind of great, all over the place. Tons of work. Um, take what you like, leave the rest type of deal. Uh, if you don't, if you're not familiar with them, again, it'll be on my website. Some different examples, but uh, and I'll have a link to his Discogs artist page so you can check out all the records he's done over the years and see. I bet you've got at least one in your collection. Um, Then we went over Wayne White, which I will hopefully be able to talk to someday. And then I wanted to go over my last Pee Wee's Playhouse uh, sort of adjacent artist, uh, the third person on the show who did album art. Captain Carl obviously was played by Phil Hartman. You may know him from such shows as (laughs) The Simpsons, as Troy McClure and... Uh, news radio what else travis uh saturday night live he was always just he was always just there in utility and ready to like do anything uh he was like the most hilarious straight man ever in comedy don't you think Mm -hmm. that was like the weirdest most unique skill of like straight man sort of role but so funny in his own right that he kind of uh took over and upstaged yeah. The sillier people, I think. <laughs> um, so not many people know that he, I guess when he was trying to make his way into the comedy uh, and show business industry, um, he was a professional graphic designer who who designed a bunch of album covers. So uh, I have, uh, if you have that link I sent you, there's a few here. Uh, one of this, the first band is Poco is the name of the band Poco, Poco. I guess, from nineteen 19- yeah. yeah, nineteen seventy four. Do you know that record? I'm not I've never really I don't think I've ever really listened to Poco and like the this it I don't know, when I saw it I didn't even realize that that record existed before today. Okay. <laughs> I mean it don't there's no shame. Like I don't know who that is either. Yeah. Some of these bands are not great. Huh. Um so the next one is from nineteen seventy nine America, which it looks like uh, he took a photo. It was like a treated photo, although I don't see the rest of the packaging here. These are just the covers and some typesetting. Um, then he does another album in 77 for America called Harbor. Uh, you know, I got to say, it's, just... it's dated. <laughs> it's dated. Uh, oh, do you see the Crosby, Stills, Nash one he did? Yeah. folks celtic symbol or irish symbol okay it looks like a cross between a sports logo 
anacaltic knot. Yeah. Uh, the lettering looks uh, maybe pixelated of the words. I don't know. That's probably my least favorite thing I've seen today. Then <laughs> he's, <laughs> he does another album called The Fire Sign Theater Fighting Clowns. Yeah, they were, they were a comedy troupe. Oh, yeah, okay. My, my, my dad had their records. Really? Yeah. Was it good? I mean, I, I didn't really understand it because it was just like young 20-something hippie yeah. comedy. It's a painting. I'm sure he didn't do the painting. He probably did color correction and did typesetting for this. But um, he, it's a painting. Uh, there's a sun and a moon. There's, it's a war, like a maybe a Vietnam War scene with a, a, a boxing match happening and a bunch of protesters that this evil clown is walking on wearing a war helmet. There's a lot going on. Yeah. And um, what's that in the background? There's like a stage with a. There's like a walrus or something. Like. Oh, is it a dinosaur? <laughs> <laughs> There's two of them. There's is another one. Is that Lady one. Liberty, in a barrel of whiskey or beer? Probably. <laughs> there's there's also a rocket launch happening behind the White House. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Saying it out loud. <laughs> there's a lot. Um, there's also a desert. Anyways. That was from 1980. Um, then another one. Oh, well, these are not in order. There's another America's Greatest Hits. Another Poco. This one has the horse on it. The horse. I, I've, I've, I've picked up that record so many goddamn times. I recognize that one. It has red eyes. And then the Steely Dan. How would you say that? The name of that Steely Dan record? Asia. Asia? I'll listen to some some SD from time to time. I mean, it's it's fine, but I'm just like, oh god, like I don't know. There's there's something about it that just kind of bugs me. I don't know what it is. It's got a slight Jimmy Buffett quality <laughs> to where just a sprinkle. But that record's so iconic too. You know, like it's like you see that everywhere. Deacon Blues is on it. Mm. So, yeah, so would you ever have thought that that album was Phil Hartman? No. <laughs> that Phil Hartman designed that? It's so weird. What a weird overlapping of, like, 80s uh, trivia. Yeah. Um, did, did we already answer the question that I ask everyone? The What was the first record cover you remember when you were a kid? Probably Cinderella Night Songs. Ooh. Because my brother had that record. And I remember it just being so the total opposite of what was in. It was like my brother had that one record, and then it was the rest of my parents' records. So in this album cover, they are standing in an alley, looking pretty tough. What yeah. did you think about what? What did you think about that when you saw that when you were a kid? I I really just kind of like the the purple color in the background. I had never seen a like something like that and like my brother my brother dressed up as a member of rat for halloween one year and my mom made little like leopard print pants and like cut little holes in them and 
you know, he's wearing running shoes. He didn't have the boots, but still like had this like a wig and it like ha- had, he went, he went Tommy Lee and put like a, uh, under eye black and then under eye black. Oh my God. That's so funny. Yeah. I mean, you could do a shitty cover in your room. Something. I definitely have, I definitely have a terrible wig and some tight black pants that don't fit me anymore. So yeah, that was my first, that was the first record that like the first one that I really remember. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the list from that record though, and I don't, I can't say I recognize a single song on here. Uh, but I'm gonna give it a listen after we're done here. I don't know how to end a show because everything is so bleak. <laughs> we will see you again, or talk to you again. See Fingers you crossed. This is the day of the expanding man That shape is my shape That's where I used to stand